rest of us, let's take out our Bibles and find uh, Romans chapter 4. And I am excited about this message and a little nervous about this message. Even up until last night, I wasn't comfortable with my outline, what I had. I was making adjustments even up until this morning and adding things. Don't really like doing that. I really prefer it more when it's like Friday at lunch and I'm all settled in with what I'm going to do for Sunday. And I didn't originally have a title, but as I'm just sitting here thinking about it, I have two possible titles for what we're going to do now as we dive into Romans 4 and just get through the first few verses of it. The first title would be for this sermon, Why I'm Not a Catholic and You Shouldn't Be Either. (laughs) Or, and you're going to love this one, why I am Protestant, Reformedish, Baptist, and you should be too. I'll let you choose which one you like better. But we've come now to this new chapter, chapter 4, and... What Paul is doing is something very important. Actually, he's doing a number of things, but essentially the gist is this, that he is driving home what Paul has been explaining in chapter 3. He's going to just drive this truth home that... The only way to be right with God is through faith alone in Jesus alone. The only way to be justified before God, which is to be right with God then, is by faith alone. And what he's going to show in chapter 4 is this is always how it's been. And he's going to bring you back to Genesis 15 in the account of Abraham to prove it. This is the only way that God has ever saved anyone is by faith alone. He's going to make sure you don't misunderstand the Old Testament of your Bible. And somehow come to the conclusion that, well, people then, like the Jews, see, they were given the law, and by the law then they were to be right with God. And then in the New Testament, of course, this is, this is the time of grace. And, of course, now people are saved by grace, whereas before they were saved by law or works. That would be a wrong interpretation of how the Bible is laid out in the two Testaments. And Paul's going to demonstrate that in chapter 4. And chapter 4 is really so a continuing, especially of what he's been teaching at the end of chapter 3. So just for our scripture reading, I want us to read in chapter 3, beginning in verse 27, and we'll read through verse 3 of chapter 4. And we're just going to kind of crack open Romans 4 this morning. Okay, so... This is Paul, verse 
27, chapter 3, he says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's pause and ask God's blessing on these words. Father, we need you now to help us through your spirit to understand these words, to apply them appropriately. And I need your spirit's gifting and guidance and wisdom and empowerment in order to teach accurately and appropriately these truths. And so in that dependence, I ask for help. And I pray that we would all rejoice in your word when we're done. And so I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. So Romans 4 is an expansion of the end of Romans 3. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we walked through the doctrine of justification? Remember now that word justification comes from that word righteousness. And when you're justified, when God justifies somebody, he declares that person Righteous. So justification is a declaration by God. And it happens in a moment of time when a person, as Abraham did, believes God. Or to make it more specific now in the New Testament, when a person trusts in Christ... God justifies them, they are then forevermore justified, declared righteous in his sight now. And as we walked through that doctrine of justification, 
Beginning in chapter 3, verse 23, remember, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. And we said, first of all, you're justified by grace alone. You see, you're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God poured as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And then we said, well, then we're justified by grace alone through faith alone. Do you remember this? In whom? Well, throughout this whole passage, it's faith in Jesus alone. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then we went on and said, there was another one. We said, in all of this then, your salvation, your justified stand, your rightness with God is all by grace alone. And we found that, of course, in verse 27, as Paul brings this out, then what becomes of our boasting? And he'll ask the same question of Abraham. What was gained by Abraham? Chapter 4, verse 1, our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he then what? He has something to boast about. But then Paul very quickly inserts, but not before God. In other words, by works of the law, said Paul, no one will be justified in his sight so that no one can boast in the presence of God. So a true, by the way, so a true understanding of our salvation then from the gospel eliminates any pride in us. What becomes of our boasting? It's obliterated. Because how can people who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, boast in anything? They can't. They give all the glory to God, which is exactly the point, right? Well, you remember we walked through those four solas. I hope they rung a bell to many of you who have any familiarity with the reformational time period. Remember that time period 500 years ago now, back in the early 1500s, beginning about 1517 with that most famous Catholic monk, Luther, who nailed those 95 theses, uh, crying out against the uh, teachings of indulgences and other things from the church and sparked what we call the reformational period. And out of that reformational period, there were five solas that emerged, right? The word sola, Latin, alone, okay? So when they'd say, by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and there was one more that when I preached on justification, I didn't bring out. And now is the time this morning to bring that fifth sola out. Some of you know what it is. Don't say anything. Keep it a surprise until I roll it out in my dramatic fashion and get everybody excited about it. Okay, so hold on now. Let's stay with that. So we walked through that. And Paul says in verse 28 of chapter 3, we hold then, right, Calvary? We do too. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. 
And now in chapter 4, he's going to go through it for 25 more verses. I mean, how many sermons is that going to be? Chapter 4, teaching the same thing. And we might say, well, okay, we get it. Why do we need to keep going now in chapter 4 and really keep digging into this? I mean, I don't understand. I mean, we get it, right? We understand what he meant by this. Why would Paul even feel the need to write so much more expanding on what I think from chapter 3 was pretty clear on? And I don't think you have to be a Bible scholar to really see what he was saying about how one is justified by faith. I think there are probably a number of reasons Paul did what he did. But I think first he understood how vitally and eternally important this doctrine is. This is a doctrine or a teaching that has saving significance. That makes it what we would call a fundamental of our faith. And when we say it's a fundamental of our faith, what we mean is this, that unless you believe this, unless you affirm this, guys, listen, you can't be saved. So if people deny this or believe something different than this, then the sobering reality is they don't know God in a saving way because it's the only way, remember, justification's the only way someone can be right with God through his declaration of righteousness. That makes it really important. That means we shouldn't be with a doctrine like this, like fuzzy about it. You know, I kind of get what he's talking about, but you know what? There's other things I'm going to think about and worry about. No, this is, this is it. We don't want to just fly by it. Paul knows they need to hear it. And friends, this, this entire doctrine of justification by faith alone has divided the Christian church for the last 500 years in 180 degree opposite directions. So beginning at the Roman or at the Reformation period, you had a very short window of time in those years as that was going on to decide whether you were going to stay with the Catholic Church, which simply means universal church, it was the church. There were not churches. There were not denominations. The Catholic Church was the church. And whether you were going to stay with them specifically, but not entirely, on this very issue, or if you were going to go with the reformers. And the reason they're called reformers, by the way, guys, they didn't want to split the church. They loved the church. And they believed in one universal church of Jesus Christ. They wanted to reform it. 
This is what they were saying. We're wrong on some very important things. Says men like Martin Luther, and the more I study the Bible, I see how wrong we are. We've got work to do to reform this. But it was from that time period on that you had to go down one of two roads because it's, it had the, it was how you were going to be right with God. That was the decision you had to, be, had to make. You see, the Catholic Church taught and still does that a person is saved by faith. Without faith, a person cannot be justified. Without faith, a person cannot be saved. They cannot be right with God. They have to have faith. And they also believe in grace. And salvation is of grace. It sure is. You see, their problem wasn't with that, and it's in Christ. And they believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God incarnate. Oh, they believe it. And then he died on the cross for sins, and then he rose again the third day. So we're saved by faith in Jesus, by God's grace, says the Catholic Church. The problem they have, and friends, it's the same problem the Jews had with Paul, is in the phrase, I'll look back at chapter 3, verse 28, I'll show it. This is the most controversial phrase probably in our Bibles when it comes to how someone's right with God. We hold that one is justified by faith. Now catch this, apart from works of the law. Or as we say it in those solas, what do we say? By faith alone. It's that phrase, apart from works of the law, or maybe the Catholic Church would say, apart from, or as the Reformers would say, apart from good works, or apart from keeping the sacraments, apart from doing good, that's their problem. See, what they teach the official teaching is, and, and really what they did, and it's called the Council of Trent. It happened about, you know, 20, 30 or so years into the Reformational time. The Catholic Church had to gather everybody together because the, the Protestant Reformed teachings were spreading and people were grabbing onto it. This was creating quite a problem in that time period. And so they gathered together people at the Council of Trent to study this out. And they became very clear on what the church teaches. Let me just summarize it for you, and you are welcome to do what I did, and you Google it. I've done this many times. You can pull up all of the Council of Trent, all of those wonderful anathemas that they pronounce on people like me for teaching you what I'm teaching you right now because it was all in response to Luther and all his followers and others, and they're just coming together with this. And here's what they teach essentially that if you want to be a person is justified by grace uh, through faith in Jesus and here's how it plays out in order to be justified you have to do good works that contribute to your justified status you actually have to do works so that God can justify you well how can we do that we're sinners well it's by grace and so what you need is what they call the ladle of regeneration. In other words, you need to be baptized. 
And in that ladle, as they pour that water, what is infused into your soul is the regeneration required for you, the grace from God that will now enable you, see, when it is time, because they baptize infants unless somebody converts to Catholicism, when it's in time to enact your own faith now, there comes faith in Jesus, and you by faith now in that enablement of God you begin doing good works and keeping the sacraments and justification, righteousness is continually added to you so that you can be justified before God so that they would say, yes, indeed, we are saved by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus. You see, I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't be justified unless God gave me the grace to do it. I couldn't be justified without faith. And I couldn't be forgiven without Jesus' cross work and all of those things that play a part. But their problem is you can't be justified by faith alone in a moment of time while you are in and of yourself still a sinner. Well, this cannot be. It is faith plus your works. It is grace plus your, what they say, cooperation with the grace of God in order to the attaining of a right standing before God. That's the idea. This is why in true Roman Catholic teaching, one can never really be sure until the very end if you're going to be saved. Now, some of you that were trained growing up perhaps in Roman Catholicism or maybe if you knew, even if you're visiting and you've never heard these things but you've been a part of the Catholic Church is because it has been my personal experience that most confessing Catholics don't know what their church teaches. That's been my experience. The average Catholic probably attends church and mass, what, on Christmas Eve? Easter, of course, that's a big day. Maybe other occasions they attend church. Most are not devout, but there are many who are devout, but most don't even understand that. But is that the truth, right? And you see the dilemma here, because if that's what they teach... And the reformers were teaching over here, no, we're justified in a moment of time when we put our faith in Jesus and we're saved by works, that's true, but it's all Jesus' works and our works play no role in our justification. None whatsoever. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. You can see then how we've got two different gospels. You don't have one gospel in which the two groups kind of disagree on some minor issues. That can't be the case because you're either saved by grace alone or you're saved by grace plus your works, but it can't be both, you know? What are the laws of logic? The law, the law of contradiction, right? That says that 
Something can't be A and not A at the same time. It just cannot be. So one has to make a decision then of which gospel you're going to follow. In Paul's day, there were men that were called Judaizers. Perhaps you've heard of these men. They were Jews who came to a faith in Jesus. In other words, they said, okay, I think Jesus was the Messiah. But here's the thing. We believe in Jesus and to be justified, you believe in Jesus and you have to be circumcised. And then they added other types of mosaic law, dietary restrictions, and adding different things that you had to do in order to be justified. This is the issue that the apostle Paul was dealing with when he wrote to the church, churches in Galatia. These were the men that were coming into those churches and teaching these Gentile Christians, well, you've, yeah, you have to have faith, and yeah, it's of grace, and yeah, Jesus died and rose again. And so you've got to put your faith in Jesus, and you have to do these things. And then, and only then, can you be justified. And they were saying, this is the gospel. That letter, if you've ever read through the letter to the churches in Galatia, you should read through it this week and the weeks coming because it connects directly with what we're going to look at. He's teaching virtually the same thing. But keep those men in mind that Paul has in mind when he writes to this church and listen to what he says to them in the introduction of this letter. Listen to what he says. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 8. He says, I am astonished because some of them in the church were turning away from They heard it and they said, that sounds pretty good. I think I'm gonna go down that road makes me feel more comfortable that I'm doing something to contribute into this whole justification thing because it doesn't make a lot of sense that I can just be passively receiving justification without having myself to do anything good. So there are some in this church that are going down that road. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ in our turning to a different gospel not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Let him be eternally damned. I don't care if it's the angel Gabriel showing up in your church with the glory of God still radiating off him from being in his presence, and he starts bringing to you a gospel, the only gospel, the gospel of the grace of Christ, and they start preaching that to you, let him be anathema. You put them out. Let them be accursed. You don't listen to them. And Paul was astonished because he's like, why would you trade in the beauty of the gospel of free and pure grace 
Why would you trade in the gracious justification apart from the works of the law with just faith in the Son of God, your Savior? Why would you turn away from that for this other gospel now? Paul was astonished that anybody could do that. Paul could show up at the any Roman Catholic church on any given meeting, he'd be befuddled that an entire denomination for now 1,500 years has been teaching the gospel. He wrote an entire or the false gospel, that he wrote an entire letter to confront. I think he'd be like, didn't you read Galatians? He'd say, let me see your Bible. Did they, t- did they take that out of there? I'm astonished. You see, friends, the gospel of the grace of Christ is the good news for sinners. Paul knows how critical it is that the church at Rome understand this so that they can stand upon it when the assaults of the devil come upon the church and the false teachings and the doctrines of demons that just want to dilute or reduce or change or alter the pure gospel of Christ. Paul knows that his gospel of a grace of justification apart from works is rejected, how controversial it is. It was one of the primary reasons he was so intensely persecuted among the Jewish people. And they accused him of being against the law by his teachings. You're trying to get rid of God's law now. Which is why he had to say in chapter 3 and verse 31, do they, we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we're the ones that are holding it up. You know, when Paul went into Jerusalem... In Acts chapter 21, they begged him not to go, his friends and others, because they knew it had been prophesied about that when you go now, you're going to be arrested. And in Acts chapter 21, verses 27 and 28, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! You hear him, the Jews calling out the other Jews, Come help us! This is the man who is teaching everywhere against the people, that is the Jews, and against the law. That was the issue. To say that one could be justified apart from works of the law in their ears and in their mindset, he's overthrowing the law that God gave to us by which we can be justified with him. This was very serious to them. 
You overthrow the law, says the Jew. You overthrow any means we have of being right with God because it is through the works of the law. Yes, with our faith. Yes, with the grace of God. Yes, but it's through the works of the law that we can be right with God. We have to do the law so we can be justified. Paul understood this. That's what he used to believe and teach. He was a Pharisee. They were leading the way in this kind of thinking. But Paul had come to see the gospel of the grace of Christ and understand that they were misusing the law. That it was never intended to bring righteousness and right standing before God. That through the law, Paul said, comes the knowledge of sin and shows us our inability to keep it. He'll say to the Galatian church, you who want to be justified by the law, are you not reading the law? It says, cursed is everyone who does not keep it entirely is the idea. You fail in one point. You come under the condemnation and curse of the entire law. Are you not reading the law? You're misusing the law, says Paul. So Paul is not trying to throw away the law. We are not antinomian. We had a man at our church used to attend here and he used to say to virtually everybody so you probably heard him say it if you were here that he's an antinomian which is heretical by every standard because the law is good says Paul and righteous the psalmist in Psalm 19 says the law is perfect and that there is a proper place in use of the law in our lives. And once we've come to know God, then we can delight in the law and want to live out the law in our lives, not for justification, but because we have justification. We delight now in doing what is right. So we are not antinomians, neither was Paul. Antinomian means against the law. Namas law, anti, against the law. We're not against the law. So what Paul is doing then in chapter 4, and this is the whole point of chapter 4 of what he is doing. What he is doing is what any good Bible teacher must do. He is here in this chapter demonstrating from the law, Genesis, from the scriptures, that the only way to be right with God is through faith alone in Christ alone. He's going to the Bible to say, if you don't believe me, let's study the Bible together and I'll show you right on the page of Scripture that what I'm telling you comes not from me, but from God. And that, friends, is what every good Bible teacher should do. You put out a point for people of doctrine, of application, it better have its source, right, in the Word of God. Good preaching, then, is from a preacher who has his Bible open, and he asks you to open your Bible, and he says, do you see where I'm getting this? Because I don't want you to get the wrong impression like this is me, that this is coming from me. This comes from God, 
He is doing what every good Bible teacher must do, and he's asking the most important question we can ask with any doctrine or any aspect of our lives. Verse 3, look at the the key question of chapter 4. Verse 3 of chapter 4, key question for the whole passage. For what does the Scripture say? You see it? I'm teaching you about justification. He lays it out at the end of chapter 3, through the cross, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, the glory of God alone. You don't believe me? Here it is. Look at what does the Scripture say? Let me show you. Isn't that the key question for us at all times and about anything? It's never how do you feel about something? Or what do you think about something? Or what you have been taught about something? Or what you've read from someone about something? The key question for all of us at all times is this, what does the Bible say? That's the key question. That's what Paul's answering. Do you know what we call that in church history? Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is our sole source of authority. Scripture alone is where we find out who God is and what God requires of us. Through Scripture alone, He teaches us the way of salvation. What does the Bible say was the battle cry of the Reformation? In April of 1521, Martin Luther was finally summoned to answer for all of his writings, or at least the ones he had done up until that point from 1517 to 1521. He was summoned before the Diet of Worms. And no, that isn't some weird fad diet by which you can drop a ton of weight, though if you tried it, you would drop a ton of weight. (laughs) A diet just means an assembly, a gathering for that kind of a purpose, and Worms is the location, or in... Maybe in German it sounds a little better. Worms, right? With the V, with the W. But it was time to give an account now. He had already been branded a heretic. And they they were requiring that he recant his writings. Now, I want you to keep in mind something about this man Luther, Martin Luther. He was not a perfect man. But neither was Abraham, as we'll see very shortly, not this morning, but next week. But God used this man, Martin Luther, I think, for the history of the church, more than any other man. He was summoned into that assembly before the emperor and the chief leaders, and his life was in their hands. 100 years before Martin Luther was the man, Jean Hus, J-A-N Hus, who started saying the same things Luther said. And do you know what they did with him? They tied him to a stake and burned him alive for it. 
Luther knew what was at stake here. He rides into a diet of worms. Yeah, at stake, pun intended. He goes into there, and they say to him, Luther, they have all his writings out. Will you recant these? And he said, Can I have some time to think about it? (laughs) And they gave him the night. I don't blame him for that. Maybe he was looking for an escape hatch out of his room. Maybe he thought Jesus might return in the meantime. I don't know what he was praying for. So they summoned him back in the next day. Recant what you've written. And then he said these famous words. You ready? Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason... I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Friends, that is the battle cry of the Reformation. That is the battle cry of churches like ours. Our question is always, what does the Scripture teach? And when the winds of culture change and some churches get into the breeze of the winds of culture and they want to alter things and change things, we stand firm. We stand firm upon the Word of God because as the... London Baptist Confession of 1689 begins so eloquently with these words, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience, friends. And this is why Paul has to spend the time he does in chapter 4, and this is why we in the upcoming weeks, are going to follow his example and study this from Scripture, see what the Bible says about justification, and get it solidified into our brains. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We believe it is truth. Give us now the courage to stand on it, to proclaim it, to share it with others. I pray now for this church. I've heard it said, God, that a church is one generation away from apostasy. And I pray that you would help us to stand firm in your truth in the years to come. That your word would bear fruit in the people who attend here. That by your grace, we would be an example of those who treasure the Bible. We would become and be and remain a people of the book. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.